If you would, we're going to take our Bibles this morning, and we're going to look at the subject of the harvest. The harvest. Now, I know I have dealt with this subject, I am sure, here before, but this is a new outline. So we're going to look at the harvest and how you can be involved in the harvest and how God wants you to be involved in the harvest. And so we're going to be looking at this harvest. Let's take our Bibles out and turn to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah 6. We're going to start, first of all, by looking at how it is important to get a proper perspective of the harvest. So you're going to notice some alliteration. So the letter P is going to hopefully help us to remember the point. So number one, get a proper perspective of the harvest. Isaiah 6, verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. I want us to notice, notice first of all, in getting a proper perspective of the harvest, that a proper perspective of the harvest begins with a proper perspective of the Lord of the harvest. Now, maybe we should define what is the harvest, and I think we probably all know. But Matthew 9, 36 through 38, just as a reminder, you don't need to turn there right now, but we will later. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Now, I have a whole message I could preach on the harvest, and it's a completely different message, but I just want to kind of think about what I normally tell people. There's three harvests 
that we need to think about. First of all, it's the past harvest. The past harvest is the, the harvest that can no longer be reaped. Then there's the present harvest. The present harvest is talking about the opportunity that is at hand all around us right now. All over the world, there is a present harvest to be reached, and that is what Jesus was focused on when he lifted up his eyes. He looked on the fields. They were white. He said, look on the fields. They're white. He was moved with compassion. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. And then there's the future harvest. The future harvest, there's different parts of the future harvest. Some of it is good, some of it is not so nice. There's the harvest in the book of Revelation in the tribulation period, when the 144,000 Jews will go out and will be witnesses. There's the harvest that is reaped when the angel proclaims the gospel. There's the harvest at the battle of Armageddon. There's the harvest, the final harvest of souls when at the last resurrection, when all the dead at the second resurrection, the resurrection of the condemned, will be standing before God at the white throne. And all of these harvests should impact us on the present harvest. So how do we get that proper perspective if we don't know the Lord of the harvest? First of all, you need to be saved so you can be a harvester. So you've got to get a proper perspective of the Lord of the harvest. Isaiah 6 gives us that perspective and gives us not just a perspective of the Lord of the harvest, but the impact that that proper perspective will have upon us as God's people. Isaiah saw a vision of the Lord of hosts. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And let, re, let me remind you that the angels are still saying, holy, holy, holy. Even as we sit here today, they continue to proclaim the holiness of God in heaven we find that in the book of Revelation. So we know they continue to proclaim the holiness of God, and it's such, we have such an awesome, holy God that the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And Isaiah's response was, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I dwell, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He finally had that proper perspective of God, and he realized, I am a sinner dwelling in the midst of sinners. Woe is me. But then he received cleansing in verses 6 and 7. And a result of that was verse 8. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, 
Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. I'm sure you know that song, Here am I, send me. There's another song, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. How does that happen in our hearts? It happens when we get a proper perspective of who God is. The Almighty, the thrice holy God, and we are sinners. And we realize, wow, something needs to be done about this situation in which we live. Souls are lost and dying and going to an eternity in hell, separated from this holy God. What should we do? God says, who will go for us? And only those people who have a proper perspective of God's holiness will be ready to respond, here am I, send me. So a proper perspective of the harvest begins with a proper perspective of the Lord of the harvest. Next, I want us to see if we're going to have a proper perspective of the harvest, we need to see the scope of the harvest, the scope of the harvest. Matthew 13, 38 tells us that the field is the world. We find that we're supposed to teach all nations. We're go we are to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Acts 1, verse 8, spells it out. Again, we'll turn there. We can't look at every passage, but we'll look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We'll see the scope of the harvest here. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. The uttermost part of the earth, the scope of the harvest is near and far away. It's here and it's everywhere. To the uttermost part of the earth is the uttermost. Has it been reached today? Are there still unreached people groups in the world today? The answer is yes. And unfortunately, right around us there are unreached people yes we know they have access to the bible but we found out this morning in sunday school that just because people have the word of god doesn't mean they really know god it doesn't mean they have direction by god but you realize there's still people in the world today that don't have a written language people that we would consider uncivilized In 2018, there was a man, maybe I've told this story here before, I can't remember, but his name was John Chow. And he attempted to reach one of those last uncontacted people groups, the North Sentinelese. There's an island in the Indian Ocean called North Sentinel. It's uh, under the, the uh, rule of India. They control that area, and they banned everybody from visiting that island and contacting the people on that island. 
From their perspective, they're protecting those people from outside influence and disease and um, people who would take advantage of them. But from our perspective as Christians, it should be that they are preventing them from hearing the gospel that will save their souls. So they are part of this scope, the uttermost, those two to 400 people who've never heard the gospel. Perhaps they heard the name of Jesus Christ when in 2018, Brother Chow went to their island and tried to preach to them the gospel, but they shot an arrow at him, most likely, and they killed him. And he died. And they still need to be reached. Why is it that in the past, there were men who would go to places like this, but today, it seems that no one goes. Or those who go are very few. I want us to see not just the scope of the harvest, but let's see the condition of the harvest. This is an important thing. If you don't see the condition of the harvest, you may wait and say, it's not for today. John 4, verse 35. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest? Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. I was recently driving by a field on the street uh, where I live in Wisconsin, and driving down that field, I could see that what had been planted in that field the year before was wheat. Because you could see where the combine had put the excess straw out the back and there had been uh, windrows of straw there. But now the straw is gone, but now there is wheat growing there because there was a lot of wheat seeds that were missed. Do you realize when the harvest is white, it's at that point where if somebody doesn't go and get the harvest, the wheat will be wasted. And as you go out to reap it, some of it will fall on the ground, as happened there in that farm field I saw. A lot of the wheat fell and was wasted. There will always be some waste. There will always be some souls who do not come to Christ, but we can make a difference in how many will come to Christ by reaching them when it's time to reach them. We need to get a proper perspective of the harvest. The time to reap is now. It's not tomorrow. It's not in another year. It's not in another more easy situation. It's not in another time period when people's hearts are more ready. Yes, it would be wise to go to the places where people are more open to give them the gospel. But it's going to take sacrifice. Some of those places are the places people don't want to go, where people may be poor, where there's no electricity. But let me tell you something that I've noticed in Africa. The time to give the gospel is not when the people get electricity. And a missionary's business shouldn't be to go civilize people. Because you know what happens as far as electricity and all that kind of stuff? Because I've found out what happens when 
people get electricity. They get television, and they get radio, and they get boom boxes, and they get access to all of the filth of the world, and it just destroys their culture if they have any left. So we need to get a proper perspective of the harvest. Number two, we need to get something that is vital to reaching the harvest, and that's get a passion for the harvest. Get a passion for the harvest. You know, if there's someone who doesn't know anything about farming and he doesn't really care about the harvest, it's not, he's not going to be as motivated to get out there. I remember there was a man recently running for president, and he had some, he said, yeah, I could teach anybody how to plant something. Well, he was a man who lived in the city and didn't really know what he was talking about. If you want to reach the harvest, if you want to win souls for Christ, you have to get a passion for that. Matthew 9, verse 36, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. What motivates somebody to leave father and mother and sister and brother and lands and kindred and house? It's a passion for souls. Compassion for the lost. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous but the laborers are few. Romans chapter 9, we'll see the passion that Paul had for the harvest, specifically his own kindred, the, the Jewish people. Romans chapter 9, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He says, I could, if, if it were possible, I could wish myself to be accursed from Christ so that my brethren could be saved. That's how much he loved them. He had a passion for the harvest. A passion goes a long, long ways. If you don't have a passion for souls, you're not going to reach souls. You need something to motivate you to get out there and win the lost. Where do you get that passion? Well, how do you get a passion to read the Word of God? First of all, you've got to be saved. But if you don't read your Bible, you're going to lose a passion for reading the Bible. If you want to get a passion for souls, well, Get in the Word of God and ask God, give me a passion for souls. And then find out about the world. Read, read about the harvest. Get some missionary biographies. Follow some prayer letters and start asking God, give me a passion for souls. When it's time, if your church has a soul-winning event, like I think I heard you're having on Memorial Day, Ask God, give me a passion for souls. And you get out there and you start reaching souls and you say, wow, there's a great need out there. 
Get on a, go on a missions trip somewhere. Get a passion. Say, God, give me a passion for souls. Give me compassion for the lost. Try to think not just about what people look like and who they are and how maybe they interact with you, but how they need Jesus Christ. And say, God, give me a passion for the harvest. Number three, not only do we need a proper perspective and a passion for the harvest, but we need to pray for the harvest. Now, if you have a passion for the harvest, this will lead you into this. Matthew 9, back to where we are here, Matthew 9, verse 36, Jesus was moved when, with compassion when he saw the multitudes. He said, the harvest is plenteous. And verse 38, pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Who is the Lord of the harvest? That's God. And especially the Holy Spirit, he's the one who's going to speak to people and lead them to be laborers into the harvest. So pray that the Lord would send forth laborers into his harvest. So pray that laborers would go. Look at uh, what happened in, uh, in the book of Romans. As Paul talked about, I could, be a, I could wish myself to be accursed for my brethren in Romans 10. Brethren, verse 1, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And then we can turn to 1 Timothy. Again, the words of Paul, obviously the words of God as well, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Have you ever heard someone pray that everybody would be saved? I remember hearing one, one lady pray that everybody would be saved. And I, I, you know, you get in the back of your mind, oh, well, that couldn't happen. Well, you know why she prayed that? Because she had a passion souls. She wanted to see every person in the world saved. And Paul said here, verse 4, who will have all men to be saved. Did you know that is the passion and heart of God, that all men will be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? So pray for the harvest. Pray that souls would be saved. Number four, another P. First, we need a proper perspective. Secondly, we need to get a passion. Thirdly, we need to pray. And fourthly, we need to prepare. Now, I want us to look again at, at Matthew 9. You may have noticed this before. Jesus talked about the, the harvest. The people are scattered abroad. The harvest is plenteous. Pray for the harvest. That, that pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth labors. And then chapter 10, what does he do? He calls unto him his disciples and says, go. So what does that have to do with my point? Prepare for the harvest. Get ready to go. Get ready to go. Are you getting ready to go out into the harvest 
Pray that prayer. Give me a passion for souls, dear Lord, just like the song goes. A passion to save the lost. Get your heart prepared. And then get your life prepared. If you don't know the Bible, you don't know the gospel, you don't have it memorized, get, get in the Bible. God, what can I share with people? And get a plan. Now, a caution. Jesus never used the same plan on any one person. But it is good to have a roadmap. Know the gospel. Get prepared for the harvest. Ask God for wisdom and direction. God, where do you want me to go in the harvest? What do you want me to do in the harvest? What is your job for me in the harvest? He can give you direction. I know some, some believe that, you know, wherever you go and wherever you want to go, that's, you know, that's God's will for you, but I believe God can show you where he wants you to go. Acts chapter 9. Saul is called by Christ, and he answers the call, and Ananias is sent to Saul to lay hands on him, and this is what the Lord said to Ananias in verse 15, Acts 9, verse 15, but the Lord said unto him, go thy way, for he, that's Saul, he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. You see, God had a plan for him. I'm going to use him all over the world to preach the gospel and to reach especially the Gentiles, but the Jews as well. Look at Acts uh, chapter 13. Verse 46, Paul, Paul knew this. He knew what his mission was. He knew what God wanted him to do. Verse 46, Acts 13, 47, Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, that's to the Jews, but seeing ye put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. Part of preparing for the harvest is finding out where does God want me to go. God can show you where he wants you to go. Get alone with God. God, where do you want me to go? Acts 16, God showed Paul specifically where to go. Not just generally, he showed him generally and specifically. Acts 16, on his missionary journey, he needed direction. Verse 6, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Paul got specific direction to go into Macedonia. And there's something interesting that happens here. I don't know if you ever noticed it. 
Uh, notice the pronouns being used here. Verse 7, they. Verse 8, they. And then in verse 10, what do you see? We. How did that happen? Well, Luke joined the team right there. God gave them specific direction. This is what I want you to do. This is where I want you to go. And aren't you glad that they did? Aren't you glad that there was a church planted there in Philippi? Aren't you glad for the story of the Philippian jailer that came to the Lord because someone prepared for the harvest? Number five, I want us to see the purpose, or sorry, number five, pursue the harvest. Pursue the harvest. What is this all about? Well, this is related to the passion of the harvest and praying for the harvest and preparing for the harvest. Pursue the harvest. Sometimes I'm afraid people are waiting so much for direction for the harvest field that they don't pursue the harvest. And I, I mentioned this, I, I remember hearing testimonies in the past. God called me here. God called me there. God called me to do this, and then people don't do it. Why? Because they're not pursuing. Let me challenge you today to pursue the harvest. Now, we know the ultimate purpose is to glorify God. So pursue that. Pursue that by reaching the harvest field for God. Start with a soul. God, give me a soul. I want a soul. Did you know there's nothing wrong with saying, God, give me a soul? Wasn't it John Knox who said, give me Scotland or I die? I know I can think of one man in particular who pursued the harvest relentlessly with his life, and he died in the pursuit of it. His name was David Livingston. I can't think of anybody that, I mean, I know there were people just like him, but if you read about what David Livingston did, pursuing and just dying in the pursuit of Africa. Some say, well, he had other goals in mind, but his ultimate goal was to reach Africa with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he died in the pursuit of reaching them. Are you pursuing a soul? Pursue, I mentioned last time I was here, pursue a family. Use your family to reach your neighbors. You're not going to get them right away, probably but you can pray, and you can pursue. Pursue your nation. This nation needs God more than ever before. We need God. Pursue your nation like John Knox. Give me Scotland. Pursue a region. Pursue a continent. Acts chapter 1, that is not just a good suggestion. It is actually the command of, the, of God, the command of Jesus Christ, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Ye shall be witnesses unto me. 
it's not an option. It's not, you know, something that might happen. It's something you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Perhaps God is calling you to a part of the harvest, and you know it. And he's tugging at your heart, I want you for North Sentinel, or I want you for South Bend, Indiana. I want you for China. And he's calling you. You've got to do something. You've got to get up and start pursuing the harvest. Don't just wait for God, you know, as they, I used to hear my dad say, don't wait for God to hit you over the head with a two-by-four. If he burdened your heart, start pursuing it. And if you're pursuing the wrong thing, you know what he's going to do? He's going to show you. He's going to say, wait a minute. Go this way. And he is going to direct you. Start pursuing it with everything you have. Just like a runner who is running a race. They have that motivation, that drive, that inner drive to keep going and just push themselves until they just collapse on the finish line. I don't think Jesus Christ wants all of us to collapse on the finish line, but that might be what he wants you to do. Paul reached the finish line when his head was chopped off. Every single one of the apostles died for Christ, except for the apostle John, but his experience wasn't very nice either. There may come a day when we have to die pursuing the harvest. I'm afraid most of the time, when it gets too difficult, most missionaries give up. Most soul winners give up in the pursuit of the harvest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the harvest field. Give us that passion for the harvest field and that perspective of the harvest field that would cause us to pray and to pursue it with everything that we have for the glory of God, the ultimate purpose. And Lord, I pray that today, if you're calling somebody here at Fellowship Baptist Church in some, some particular way, whether it be an individual or a family or a region or a country, whatever or wherever it may be in the harvest field, however you're speaking to their heart, Lord, I pray they would start to pursue that with everything they have in their being. Give us people like that who will pursue the harvest with everything, just like you pursued us by giving your own son to die on the cross for us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.